Hi, everybody. Hi, Dr. Nick. I'm just happy that somebody got that reference. I'm Captain Benjamin Sisko. Welcome to Deep Space Nine. Red alert. All crew members report to battle stations. Red alert. Shields up. What shields? You're sparkling officers. Now start acting like it. Oh, it's just Garrick. Plain, simple, Garrick. Dax, we might have just discovered the first stable wormhole known to exist. The wormhole does bring them our way, doesn't it? Everyone wants a piece of the new frontier. This will shortly become a leading center of commerce and of scientific exploration. And for Starfleet, one of our most important posts. Quite a motley crew you've assembled here, Benji. Listen to the Prophets, a Deep Space Nine podcast. And here are your hosts, Andrew Leyland, Paul Spataro, and Dr. Bill Robinson. Bloody hell. Hi, everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Listen to the Prophet. I'm David Pascarella, and I'm joined, as always, with Sir Andrew Leyland. The search is is better than shame. Dr. William Robinson. Come back, Jade. Come back. And Paul Spataro. What's up, Pally? So what do we have going on? Anything in news this week? No, not at anything. Well, I'm a week away. And it will be many weeks past by the time it's his. But I'm a week away from my free month of CBS All Access running out. So I already put in the uh, entry for them to cancel it uh, before they bill me for another month. So goodbye to my free Star Trek. Oh, Well, I don't, I don't think there's any more for a while, so I wouldn't worry about it. Yeah, and nine, $9.99 is, a month is too much for what I'm getting there. What else is on it? Uh, well, I mean, it's got a lot of... CBS TV shows. Uh, there's not. I didn't really see any other original content besides Star Trek. They have that sequel to that program, The Good Wife, The Good Fight. Uh, that would entail me having had having some familiarity with the original show that's a sequel too, which I don't. So wouldn't the sequel to The Good Wife be to Ex Wife? I, I would have thought, <laughs> but I, I, I never saw the original. But my wife was a fan. Yeah, that's, that's it for my Star Trek news. Yeah, for me, I, I've been uh, tearing through the Discovery books. I read the first five of them. Wow. Oh, there's five of them now? I think I read three. Andy, how many did you read? There was the... Uh, uh, one. <laughs> I read the first one. Which was which one? The one with Lorca was, or the it one... Was... It was the one that was basically set ten years before the series oh, and had that's right. Spock and Michael Burnham do shit together that was instantly contradicted by Wait the a minute. Show. I didn't even realize. You're right. I totally forgot about that. That that book, well, 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 that was set before, so it wouldn't totally contradict. But yeah, yeah, it does kind of contradict. Oh, man, you're right. Mm. Yeah, so I was like, well, if this is going to be the case, I'm not going to bother with these. So there's that one. There's the one with Lorca on that uh, one. I liked. Yeah, one. yeah, with, with uh, Kodos. Yeah, that one was pretty cool. So I think that's the only two I read of that. There's a James John Jackson Miller one, sorry, set on the Enterprise that I quite fancy because I like John Jackson Miller, but I've not read it yet. Oh, is it with uh, Pike? Yes. Ah, what are they going to do a Pike show? They should do a Pike show. They will do a Pike show. I think that's going to be on the cards. The Tilly book was the most boring thing I ever read in my entire life. <laughs> well, you know, I, I don't love Tilly as much as everyone else seems to. 
and, and 300 pages of a certainly Ooh. isn't con- 300 pages ugh that's a lot it's, for you know it's a lot of 275 300 seemed like a thousand I, I'm not sure hours would seem like days <laughs> um, I'm sure she's lovely but uh, no, I'm I, I sure. don't I'm sure she's lovely, uh, but I do not subscribe to the Tilly love that everyone else seems to. I just I don't get it. I'm not watching Star Trek to watch this this lower deck cadet. I want to see what's going on on the bridge. I'm with you because I'd be the lower deck cadet. Yeah, I want to see what the exciting shit that's happening. I don't care what's happening hey. with the lower decks. But if it wasn't for her, she wouldn't have made friends with the queen of the stealth highly technological advanced people that came at the end of season two and helped with all the other fleet of starships that came and saved everybody. Yay. Yay. Anyway, should we talk about a good Star Trek? Absolutely. Today's episode... Picard! Oh, wait. Never mind. Oh, well, you want to go there? No, I Save don't want that. to go there. No, I'll pass. Yes. Alrighty. Today we're covering season seven, episode ten. Entitled, It's Only a Paper Moon. Nog is trapped in a private hell. Nog's lost a leg. But his only escape is into a world of pure fantasy. You want to choose a hollow suite program for your rehab? On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. This episode was directed by Anson Williams. Patsy. <laughs> Story by David Mack and John J. Ordova. Jingleheimer Ordova. Yes, I'm sure that's what the J stands for. Teleplay by Ronald D. Moore. Featured music by Jay Chataway. The original ad date was December 30th, 1998. Our guests are the one, the only James Darren as Vic Fontaine, Aaron Eisenberg as Nog, Max Grandinchik as Rom, and the lovely Chase Masterson as Lita. Wait, the plot. Oh, sorry. Yep, yep. sorry. I, I know I'm Billis Interruptus. David Mack is also author. Uh, he's the. Uh, blah, 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 blah. He. So he wrote the story. He also has written some Star Trek books, including one of the Discovery books. Just tying that back in, in oh, case right. you guys weren't aware of that. I'll the shut up now. In a circle. It comes back. Okay. I'll be quiet now. After having his leg replaced after injury in the siege of AR 558. And following months of rehabilitation at Starbase 235, Nog returns to Deep Space Nine. He suffers flashbacks of his injury and feels pain in his new leg, even though doctors do not detect any physical pain stimuli. The crew greets him warmly and intends to throw him a party, but Nog instead secludes himself in his quarters, sleeping most of the day and listening to a recording by Vic Fontaine. Of, Sounds like uh, a regular teenager to me. <laughs> to say the least, a recording of I'll Be Seeing You on repeat. When Jake becomes fed up with the constant repetition, Nog seeks out Vic in Quark's Holosuite. After hearing Vic perform the song and every arrangement he knows, Nog convinces Vic to allow him to stay in his suite at the hotel for the night. Nog then decides to stay long term. And with some disagreements among the senior staff, as well as Nog's family, and with assurances from Vic of his ability to help, Counselor Counselor Esri Dax consents to the idea to see where it leads. That's what most medical people do. Let's just wing it and see what happens. Worst counselor ever. Yes, I see that. 
Worse than Troy. Yeah. Way worse than Troy. Way worse. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure that's possible. No, Troy occasionally did her job. Esri's basic approach to this is, ah, fuck it, let the computer look after him. <laughs> the only thing that would make it better if she smoked while saying it. <laughs> Vic and Nog bond quickly, but at the expense of Nog's relations with his family and friends, he gets in a fight with Jake, and a meeting with his father, Rom, and stepmother, Lita, is just short and awkward. Vic and Nog continue to grow closer. As a Ferengi, Nog is happy to help Vic with his finances and even recommends Vic expand his business. The two plan to build a new casino, and as Nog becomes more confident, he relies less and less on his cane. Esri, impressed by Vic's results, reminds him that Nog needs to leave soon. Vic had been enjoying himself so much that he had forgotten Nog was there for rehabilitation. Vic then urges Nog to leave, and when he refuses, Vic self-terminates the program, forcing Nog back into the real world. Nog attempts to restart the Hollow Suite, but Miles O'Brien, having detected his efforts from Ops, explains to Nog that Vic can prevent his own program from starting. O'Brien tells Nog that everyone misses him before leaving him alone. Vic then appears, and Nog finally admits the emotional trauma his injury caused and his fear of death. Vic counters that if he stays in the Hollow Suite, he'll still die, not all at once, but little by little. Nog returns to limited duty, but convinces Quark to leave the program running all the time to return the favor to Vic and to give him a chance at a real life. And that's our episode. What do we think, gentlemen? I like how they're um, making Vic. Well, I mean, it's we get a good performance from from uh, James Darren and Aaron Eisberg. But I like how they're exploring a little bit more with Vic and Voyager would later do even more with the holographic doctor that that these programs can kind of exceed what they were initially intended to do, either by being run all the time or just the complexity of them and that they can almost become their own entities on their own. Which opens up a whole can of worms as far as their level Turning. of sentience and you know, mm-hmm. do they have a soul and do they have rights and all sorts of things like that. Yeah, which a lot of which was explored in Voyager, more so than here. Here it's just kind of like, yeah, Vic's great, leave him on all the time. Yeah, if we didn't like him, we'd turn him off. <laughs> yeah. What, what does Quark have to say about that? Because well, A... That's an unnecessary energy usage of a station that is in the middle of a war. Have we forgot that? And B, that's one of Quark's major sources of income. Well, does, does, does he actually have to be in a hollow suite for the program to run? Because I seem to remember, uh, what's his name, Moriarty, this program ran in a little simulator thing. Right, yeah, but they stuck him in a box and he didn't realize he was in a box. What's in the box?! Can't they have Vic's program being virtually run but not using Apollo Suite space? They I don't think, go, I don't think that's so. That's not what they say. But that's what I'm saying. They say, oh, just let him run 26 hours a day. And, and is that comment meant to be to mean that a day is a different length there? Because I would really like that if that's true. They have, they have already established that Bajoran Day is 26 hours, and therefore Deep Space Nine works on Bajoran time. Okay, that's that's so much better because I always get really tired of 
hearing these these science fiction shows that take place you know in other galaxies or whatever and they still say oh it's my birthday i'm 20 years old when the year is based on the solar cycle of the earth <laughs> you know it, it's just like no you wouldn't have those that same frame of reference so 26 hours is at least making it somewhat different yeah i think they've mentioned that before that the bajuran day is, is 26 hours how long is the bajuran year <laughs> <laughs> yeah here is 94 because that's like an extra if it's an earth year that's an extra 730 hours how many days? Quick, Bill, quick. Divided by 24. Carried that's an three. extra That's an extra month. Holy shit. Okay. I've got to create a whole other month. It's 30.42 30. days. Maybe they only have 11 months. Oh, my God. Oh. Maybe they only live to be five years old. Ah, my head. Maybe they have the a measurement year? of time doesn't involve months at all. It's it's centons? Wait, no, wait. That's <laughs> Battlestar Galactica. Maybe it's parsons. Yes. Ugh. No, the parsecs of distance of measurement. Yeah, I know, but the uh, but the Millennium Falcon. Millennium Falcon. What the hell is an aluminum falcon? <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Thanks, Peter anyway Griffin. just before we before we drift too far off this, I thought this episode was great. I loved it. The exploration of PTSD, the fact that they made it now things aren't as simple as the doctor gave me a pill I grew a new kidney. Uh, you know, he, yeah, he's got a, He's got a new leg, but he has to go through rehabilitation to get used to using it. He has psychological trauma that's preventing him from using it freely. This isn't, you know, just oh, we'll chop off a limb and give you a new one. Uh, you know, I mean, even in Star, Star Wars, you know, Luke's hand got cut off by the end. They they stuck a couple of pens in a in a robot hand on him and moved his fingers. Everything's good. Okay, goodbye. Come on, get out of here. You wasted our time, kid. You can't tell me that it, it seems like everybody's just well not everybody but they're just surprised well well you shouldn't have any pain your your legs should just work it's like we've got all you've got all these advancements in physical medical science but nobody has figured out about PTSD by this point or is more apt to they're just kind of like oh well that's nog he'll figure it out on his own go in the room and just go figure out your problems. I don't think Whatever. it's that they don't know about PTSD. I think it's even, you know, all, all that far in, excuse me, into the future, they still don't have a definitive cure for PTSD. They can't say, oh, okay, yeah, do this self no, 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 and no, you'll no. be fine. I, I didn't mean it that way. It just seems that they would have better means of identifying it and, and maybe dealing with it or helping people to get through it. I mean, Esri's... Well, that's, that's what I'm saying. I, I, don't, I don't know that there... I, I think PTSD is a very, very individualized thing. Thankfully, I've never suffered from PTSD, but I have met people in the past, you know, not even too distant past, that have had various levels of that for different reasons. And I think it's a very, very personal thing, and it's very individual. So there isn't going to be some, okay, if you have PTSD, take this pill, get a good night's sleep, and you're going to be fine. You know, there is, there is no simple cure or, or remedy for it. It's, it's a very complex thing, and it's a psychological thing. It really has no physical – it may have a physical manifestation, but it's not a phys, there's no physical cause to it. Well, it just seems like everybody was so apt to just let, let him have his distance, and then even Jake was like, I don't understand what your problem is. Dude, I have my freaking leg blown off. What's wrong with you? You know, yeah, I've got this replacement leg, but I still lost my leg. It's just everybody just, just I don't know. It's like they kind of left um, Nog to his own devices. And luckily he comes out of it or is 
going to. It just seemed like everybody for for a futuristic society that's so open minded and it seems like everybody was just like, no, it's his problem. No, I, I, I agree with Bill. <laughs> I think they were kind of very dismissive dismissive of it. And I could even I could <clears throat> I mean even if you want to throw a bone at Jake and claim he's a young stupid kid, true, but he's not. You know, he's not. He's a reporter. But all right, let's give let's give Jake a pass for being stupid. But he's Nog's longtime friend, too. He's, he's still stupid. And well, maybe, yeah, maybe he's, in, he's got a girl with him. His mind, you know, it's the whole, you know, oh, I'm just going to treat you like normal, you know, and you'll snap. That's out of this true. Yes. Yeah. But as for the rest of them, I think Esri is a terrible counselor. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and of all these folks on the station, you would think, you know, all the loss Cisco has gone through, all the loss O'Brien has gone through, they'd be down with this. You know, like they've seen this before and, you know, we just have to X, Y and Z it, you know, it, it, unless it's, you know, people only typically die. Nobody survives and is maimed like that. Well, I, I think it's supposed to be a reflection on how people in our current day society are very dismissive of PTSD. Who's in a wind tunnel? I think that's my ceiling fan that's wind tunneling us. Wow, that's some fan. <laughs> well, it's, it's off now. Uh, but I, I think that's the, uh, the message that's being sent there. And I think PTSD, again, as I said, I think it's a very personal and individual thing. And I think there's people who have legitimate very serious levels of it and there's people as in with everything who you know kind of are full of crap and don't have it and i think the people who are full of crap kind of make everybody else very suspicious of the people who are real and that's you know that's a problem yeah see i'm i'm kind of a little bit in the middle of it on the one hand i can see the benefits in what esri and dr bashir say at the beginning although i'm convinced julian only says that because he's trying to get into into esri's uniform that letting him go on the holodeck and work through it okay could be seen as perfectly therapeutic and a good way for him to deal with it my issue with it is i would have liked just a little nod maybe just a line of dialogue or whatever to say that esri had programmed the hollow suite to be able to deal with Nog's emotional situation. Because the way the episode pans out as is, is that a hologram is smarter and more empathic than the ship's doctor and the station's counsellor. Yes. Because all the way through the episode, Vic's doing the stuff that Ezri and Bashir should have been doing with him. Yes. <laughs> right down to the giving him the cane and then letting him slowly realize that he doesn't need it and giving him something to do to show that his talents aren't completely squandered now that he's got an artificial leg, showing that he's still a valued member of society and letting him get over that in the way that he needs and the time that he needs to get over it. And had they said we've programmed the Holosuite with all of our medical knowledge on dealing with this kind of situation so Vic now has this knowledge I'd have bought this episode a lot more than I did because as with Voyager where they did an entire episode about how they're using old holograms as slaves and made it into this allegory for slavery I have a problem and I've talked about this before and people always get on my back about it but at the end of the day I can't accept 
that this holographic creation has a soul. I can buy it with data. Data has been created to be an android that wants to be the thing that he can never be, the things that he interacts with every single day, a human. The holograms, be it the Doctor, who has the capacity for learning in Voyager, or Vic Fontaine here, are holograms. They are computer simulations that have no life or intelligence or ability to learn of their own. That is the concept that they give us to start, but clearly they change that playing field. They've told, they've told us, no, that's not true, that they do have the capacity to learn, and that capacity to learn can cause them to develop almost an intuition and emotions. Well, then they've created life, then. Yes, and that's, that's what I said at the very beginning of this, this discussion, was it opens up a can of worms that they don't seem to be all that willing to explore. But that can of worms exists. That, you know, yeah. Nick is being shown to be a true, true individual with memory, self-awareness, knowledge, feelings of some sort. And yet, you know, it, it's, it's, they never talk about his rights. They hand wave it away in this episode. Somebody actually says to Chief O'Brien, oh, so he has free will. And Chief O'Brien says, oh, I'm an engineer, not a psychologist. Yeah. He just hand waves it away. And Pay it's no like, attention. yeah, if you've created this absolutely fascinating science fiction idea that you've developed this thing that essentially was just a playground for humanity when they're all stuck on a spaceship for 20 years, they've got this magnificent, wonderful device that allows them to go and play anywhere in the world anywhere in the cosmos and you can do anything you want to do on that be it as simple as making yourself a baseball game or reenacting your favorite novel to exploring entire planets this simulation can do that but the minute you start introducing simulated people that have their own ideas and their own thoughts and their own feelings you're taking that to an extra level that you're doing your audience a disservice by not exploring because the end of this episode clearly spells out that Vic Fontaine is alive he learns, he grows he knows what's going on he's tired after being up yeah. and working for 26 hours, he's tired and I'm watching this going, he can't be tired he's not real but au contraire but but that's the, that's the thing is now you you have to accept now you have to accept the premise that he is more than just a simulated person now he is he may not you know you and now we could start getting into the debates that that O'Brien wouldn't get into to what extent is he real and to what extent is he uh, a person or you know and to what extent is he just a computer program and he's clearly somewhere in the middle, I guess, unless he's, you know, fully, up, you know, a full person with full rights. That's the thing they, they you know, they, they touch upon it occasionally, you know, measure of a man for data, things like that, or even, even uh, ship in a bottle. The Voyager episode where they established that using the out-of-date uh, medical holograms as slave workers was slavery. And then, then to some extent we even have, uh, you know, in, in Picard with the... With the uh, androids and stuff you know we i mean we have things going on where they they touch upon it but they aren't willing to dive in and really answer the question because i think once they answer that question i i think what they've led us up to is yeah these at least on at least for these exceptions they've shown emotions and feelings and therefore 
it could be argued that they have a soul, uh, therefore they should have rights. And I think that's I think that's the, I think they've led us to that that that's what they've you know what you almost you almost have to find based on what they've told us so far. So they don't want to ever say that because then it opens up a can of worms on how on how they're gonna yeah. you know, deal with these characters in the future. Yeah, because you're absolutely right. Because okay, okay. So does that mean every time you turn off a holodeck simulation that has people in it, you've murdered them? Or does it mean that you know you're not giving them a choice that you should be giving them? Yeah. That you that they are effectively slave labor. Well, plus plus you figure when you know, oh let me create a hologram. Uh, no, I don't like that one. Delete. Uh, let's try this one. Uh, delete. Uh, let's try that. Murder. Okay, this is the one I want. Yeah, murder. And obviously, let, let's take this to its logical conclusion. We all know what the holodecks would be used for in real life, Just right? Go watch the Orville. Yeah. So you go into a holodeck, you knock up a holographic creation that we have established has feelings and thoughts and emotions and can learn, you get that holographic creation pregnant, what does what, what does that lead to? Child support. A small little baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See, that's, that's what I mean. By taking Vic and the Doctor in this, in this direction, you have created an ethical dilemma and a moral dilemma that the producers did not want to tackle. So you've got to ask why they well, did it. Because it still makes for a good story. <laughs> well, yeah. I see it. You play a video game today, and you can play in... There's a game Fallout, if anyone's familiar with. Me, yeah. me, 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 me. <clears throat> if you play this game in what they call, I think, hardcore mode... Oh, that's tough, yeah. You have to sleep, and you have to eat. Depending on how detailed Vic's programming is and how complex a backstory he's given that he can respond to current input. Whereas if he's left on for 26 hours, his internal clock starts to run down and he's tired and he needs to sleep and rest. Just like a character in a video game, it doesn't mean the character's alive. If you've programmed Vic with a very, very, very complex backstory that, you know, he'll tell you a story from his past where, you know, he met Frank Sinatra, you know, or whatever. Maybe his story goes even back farther than that. Maybe it's 1962. He knew in his backstory people who came home from Korea that were missing arms and legs and they had issues. And that's how he's able to relate to Nog. That it's not so much he's evolving, it's just a very complex backstory that this character's been given, and that enables him to respond to the input that he's receiving. That sounds nice, Dave, but then why does he have all these independent thoughts and, and the uh, you know and these emotions and things that come into play? Is it yeah, how is he a better psychologist and doctor? than the doctor and the psychologist. And if that's the case, what you're saying, are you killing him when you turn him off? Because that's the implication at the end of this episode. I don't think you're killing him, but you're... I think he's effectively slave labor. Well, you're, see, now we're now we're treading into the territory of, um... I don't want to say science... Well, science fiction and or debate to where, you know, is he life or just a highly programmed simulation of life? And then the theory that some people have that we are all a computer simulation and we don't even know it. Who, who has that? Oh, I'd have to dig it up, but it's out there. 
God, I wish I had the cheat code. Yeah. <laughs> More human than human. Now, to, to, to lighten up the conversation a little, I really, really wish in the song set that, that Vic did, I kind of wish that they added in Splish Splash for two reasons. First of all, because it was made famous by Bobby Darren. So James Darren could do a song that was done by Bobby Darren. Secondly, on Happy Days, just about every time they showed the, the house band with Patsy singing, they did Splish Splash. So since he directed this episode, I would have loved to have seen that. Yeah, that would have been quite cool. Do you think it was a question uh, of um, of paying for the musical rights, probably? I'm thinking no. I'm just thinking nobody else nobody else cared to have that thought that I just had. But uh, because they paid for the rights for whatever, I'll be seeing you and Paper Moon. Only and a Paper whatever. Moon, and yeah. And, see, this, they, and the lyrics, the lyrics see, they should have, Only a Paper Moon are really on the nose for this episode. Uh, that was an excellent song choice. Mm-hmm. They should have had um, Sinatra. That's life. That's life. That probably so, would cost a lot. Yeah. yeah. Well, Sinatra didn't write it. Sinatra didn't write songs. So my other issue with this one is it's excellent. Let's let's just get that out of the way from the, the get-go. It's brilliantly written. It's brilliantly performed. It's well-staged. It was riveting throughout its 45 minutes. Yes, 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 and yes. Is this why we're tuning in to watch Star Trek? Sometimes. I don't want to see every episode like this, but I do want the occasional uh, episode where they're going into the higher concepts, which I think they're doing here. And they're doing it in a fun way with the Vegas background and all of that. So, yeah, I, I yes, absolutely. I, I am tuning in for episodes like this, among other different genres that we're going to see. Because it, it reminded me very much of Family, the episode of The Next Generation where Kirk, Kirk yeah. Picard goes home after yeah. being borgified and that's a very off concept episode as well the, the, what I'm saying is when is this why we watch Star Trek is that had a B plot uh, back on the Enterprise dealing with Wesley's family that they didn't feel worked they wanted it to be solely about Picard so it was interesting to watch this one that has no B or C plots it's all about Nog and it sometimes gets a little heavy that maybe they could have used a B plot somewhere which is not to say that it doesn't hold the interest it does and there are a couple of, of humorous moments in it but it is a very very heavy episode dealing with a very very heavy subject matter but it's presented in a way where you have the lightheartedness created by the Vegas atmosphere. Have him sit, sitting sitting in in the hotel room in in Vic's suite watching uh, what's called Shane and commenting that The Searchers is a better movie. I, I mean, I, I found that amusing Captain in its own Pike way. Yeah, with Captain Pike uh, in the second starring role of that movie, which it is a great movie. I don't know if it's better than Shane, but it's on the same level, I think. Uh, nah, it's better. It's got John Wayne. I, I'll. You know, I, I, I'm, not, I'm never going to put down John Wayne. I'm a hu huge John Wayne fan. But, but is it Jaws is what we... Oh, wait, I'm sorry. But John Wayne didn't <laughs> didn't uh, create Cheryl Ladd either. So, uh, but but anyway, I mean, I think there's a lot of lighthearted moments here. The music, the, the, you know, just a lot of the stuff that goes on in the episode tend to lighten the mood from the very heavy subject matter. Which, again, goes into what I was saying, that Vic is much better at dealing with this than Julian R. Ezra because he's able to lighten Nog's mood a bit because there was also, I don't know if this has been mentioned anywhere, there's also an interesting subtext of this episode about letting your fantasy life overrule reality. Oh, I was thinking of Barkley. Yeah, 
this this is like the opposite of Mr. Barclay in many ways. It's not that Nog's trying to escape from his real life into a fictional life where he's magnificent and that stuff. Nog just wants to escape into a fictional reality where he's got back that feeling of invulnerability that we all have when we're 21. And he's breakdown at the end of the episode where he says, look, if I can lose my leg, I can get killed is really, really well performed. And it's an episode of Star Trek that is not about any of the main characters. It's a really off-concept show in a lot of ways. I think there is a commentary there, as you said, about like the way people think of life when they're 21. You know, they, they think, most of them, I mean, there are exceptions to the rule, but they think that, uh, you know, bad things happen to everyone else. That, yeah, I, I know there's a risk that I could lose my leg, but that's not going to happen to me. It'll happen to someone else. That's just the way that age group thinks. And I see it now with the current situation, which hopefully will be resolved by the time this episode airs with the COVID virus, where you talk to teenagers and they're like, oh, you know, I don't, I'm not going to get sick. And if I did get sick, I'm not really in danger. And it's like, well, aren't you considering the fact that you could be killing somebody else by bringing this around you know that even if you are not at physical risk whatever but it just like the mentality of youth is so different from when you get a little bit more older and jaded and i think this episode plays that a lot because nog had you know joined starfleet with this this romantic notion about what it would mean and how you know how his life would be you know he wanted to be a hero he wanted to go in and, and save the Federation, effectively, you know, but that's not the way it worked. And, you know, he, he had a, a traumatic event that he just never thought would happen to him. And thankfully, with the science of the 23rd century being what it is, or is it the 24th century at this point? 24th. Uh, 24th century being what it is, uh, you know, they were able to replace his leg. But the psychological blow it gave him, you know, is not so easily repaired. So I, I think that's I think it's all great. I think it's really well done in this episode. And like I said, I don't think it's over. It's a very very heavy message, and I don't think it's portrayed incredibly heavy, because I think there's elements of the episode that make it more lighthearted. And in particular, Vic. Vic is just you know he's he's just the epitome of cool the way he's presented on this show, and and that's just you know. Every everything is, uh, you know. It reminds me of the thing, you know, with Avery Brooks in a slalom. You know, that's that's just the way he he's, he's just on another level than us when it comes to cool. Agree, a hundred and ten percent. And there's a lot of humour to be mined from just seeing Nog in 1960s clothes. Mm-hmm. That little sweater that he has on and the tight drain tight drainpipe pants was really funny oh, that was genuinely amusing seeing Nog in 60s attire that was quite funny sitting in the 60s hotel room watching TV yeah. in black and white you know even from the things we didn't see in my head I kept picturing the two of them like riding in a 60s Cadillac out into the desert to scope out the locations yeah to go and see where they could build that casino that would have been a wonderful scene I would have loved to have seen that the 62 caddy. That's another element, though, of the, you know, the Vic, uh, you know, what level of, of life does Vic have? That he actually loses sight of Nog's recovery because he gets excited and he's enjoying the whole idea of they're going to build their own casino and, and mm. all of that. Yeah, he really, he, re- he really gets into this idea of having his own life. Yeah. He's, he's not just there to perform, be a performing monkey 
for the crew of Deep Space Nine and sing the same songs over and over again, he gets into this idea of, well, look, I can expand, I can make more money. Uh, but it's so beautifully, hand- there's a shot in this episode that is actually quite heartbreaking. It's when Lita and Rom go in to see him and Vic just looks over them, sat at the table and everyone's having a good time and everyone's having a laugh and they just look really miserable because they know ultimately this isn't good for Nog. And it's so, oh man, it's like ripping your heart out. So what else we got? (laughs) (laughs) So if I leave a game on on my PlayStation 4 and I just leave it on for days, weeks, will the game gain sentience or my PlayStation 4 suddenly start talking to me? Hello, Bill. Don't you think you've played a little too much? (laughs) Shouldn't you get up and exercise? Don't tell me what to do. You're just, you're here to amuse me. I'm going to turn you off. I wouldn't do that, Bill. I can't do that, Bill. Just for everyone, you know, before you take that as being too lighthearted, Bill does fear the uh, the Terminator future. <laughs> yes, I do. As as can be heard on uh, numerous Back to the Bins, especially the Terminator Burning Earth ones that we discussed, where I yelled at Scott for yelling at Siri. Like, you were the reason the computers are going to take or going to kill us, because you yell at Siri. I'm afraid I can't do that, Bill. <laughs> See, now, if it had Andy's voice, I, I would be so, you know, oh, okay, Andy. Wait a minute. <laughs> you want to go and take out the trash, Bill. Ben, take out the trash. You don't want to sit here all day in your pants eating Cocoa Puffs. He's not wearing pants. What's wrong with you? <laughs> Cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. I have seen far much more of you than I ever truly wanted to, Bill. Please, please put some trousers on. Please mute the. Please turn off the camera. Bill, Bill has been known in, in the current quarantine to walk around like Winnie the Pooh with nothing but a red shirt on. <laughs> oh, but that means he's gonna die. What? You're only wearing a red shirt. You're gonna die, dude. Oh my God! Winnie the Pooh was a red shirt. I didn't think maybe that's why he always got stuck in things or. Flying around on balloons. He was actually a Starfleet security guard on an away mission. <laughs> Would explain a lot. Christopher Robin was a, was a captain. Christopher Robin went down on Alice. Oh, sorry, down with Alice. No. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> this is why we love this show. We just went from having really serious conversations about AI and its implications to making bad jokes about Winnie the Pooh. <laughs> <laughs> and Bill's relationship to Winnie the Pooh. Billy the Pooh, Billy the Pooh, do 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 drinking Mountain Dew. He's Billy the Pooh, Billy the Pooh, cuddly little bear all stuffed with fluff. He's Billy the Ah, Billy the Ah, lovely little cuddly old bear. So, do we want to rate this one? Yes. Yeah, before we come up with more songs. <clears throat> Um, oh father I enjoyed this I really enjoyed it I don't have a lot to say because I enjoyed it that much again the whole 60s vintage the Nog story the tragedy that he's able to turn around with Vic's help whether intentionally or accidentally or programmed or whatever I thought it was great the only slight drawback is the incompetence of the ship's counselor and the ship's doctor. So I gave it four and a half Cadillac. I'm actually in agreement. Four and a half for me. Uh, I think the show really kind of hit on all elements 
that uh, that it needed to. I think it was presented in a pretty even way. Like I said, I, it was a very uh, complex and emotional subject, but I don't think it got overly, uh, you know, maudlin. Way that, maudlin in the way that it was presented. I think that they kind of presented it fairly even. Uh, and yet, you know, I think I think they were also very understanding of the conditions that could present themselves so i you know i don't think they were dismissive at all but i you know i don't think they were they overplayed it i think they played it really really well so four and a half for me yeah i'm four and a half as well it's magnificently written magnificently performed exploring the subject star trek just normally glosses over remember when wolf broke his back um <laughs> he's better now yeah yeah he got and, and he's got an extra set of uh, organs <laughs> Do you know, he paid more attention to having a zit than he did to breaking his back, didn't he, if you think about it? Oh, it uh, also should be mentioned that uh, they, they believe that this episode takes this place at the same time uh, as Star Trek Insurrection, because Worf appears at the very, very beginning and then he's gone. And uh, they think that may be, you know, it may have been that that's when he was off on that particular adventure. All right, fair enough. Oh uh, yeah, four and a half. So it's such it, it is a really good episode for all the little things we've said about it. It's it's a stunningly good episode. Uh, I'll give it four and a half canes. It kind of sucks because it's hard to walk on half a cane. <laughs> Just saying. Um, uh, yeah, four and a half uh, nod canes. I give two minutes for you and your gallant crew. <laughs> all right, well, that's what we think. But what did Blaine think? Oh, I don't really have a song, but maybe I'll just do... Why would uh, you go right into Paper Moon? They say uh, Blaine, Blaine's says, opinion. I saw what Blaine... No, no, that's Blue Moon. Says, don't interrupt, I'm on the flow! <laughs> that's Blue Moon. <laughs> I Paper saw Moon is, what Blaine... They say it's only Blaine's <laughs> opinion, but he sent it in an email... <laughs> But what would Blaine say when he comments on the episode? Yeah, l- let me just stop this. Come back, Blaine. Come back. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, enough of the singing and revelry. <laughs> Andy just got it. Blaine, come back. Blaine. Blaine says, this is why I love Deep Space Nine. On Next Generation, Worf broke his back. <laughs> Ask- hey! Ask Riker to help him commit suicide was saved by a radical and dangerous medical procedure against Beverly Crusher's better judgment, learned to walk again, and was all fine and dandy by the end of the episode. On DS9, Nog loses a leg, there is no miracle cure, and the psychological ramifications are very, very real. While I don't think this hits home quite as hard as the siege of AR-558 did, it's still got a lot of weight behind it. It's justified giving DS9 its own holographic character as Voyager's most interesting characters at this point were the Doctor and Seven of Nine, and keeping the, that character available through the rest of the season. The 1962 style was interesting from a production standpoint, but this is all about Nog and how to help him. We also get nice scenes with Esri, particularly when she realizes that Vic needs her help as much as Nog does. Also, for those who understand the ending of Shane, Nog's interpretation is very interesting and somewhat telling. Not that Paul and Andy need me to point this out. I assume you've covered that already. But if you haven't, there's your opportunity. I wonder if Stephen Moffat, Moffat and Mark Gaddis had this episode in mind when they wrote the pilot episode to Sherlock. Finally, I wonder if it's a coincidence that an episode heavy on 1960s nostalgia was directed by Anson Williams, better known to many as Patsy on Happy Days, 
Blaine. So now I'm, I'm trying to think of exactly what uh, Blaine is referencing. Is it, you know, that he wants Vic to come back like the end no, of the No, I, I think he's referencing this school of thought that um, Nog makes a point of saying he got shot and there's nothing wrong with him. What's going on here? That there is a, a reading of the film Shane that he actually goes off in the desert to die and he's just putting on a brave face for the kid. Now, there's nothing in the film that supports that, but when he drive, drives off on the horse, drives he's, off. Yeah. He's slumping and his arms hanging limp at his side. So people have read that, that he dies at the end of the film. He goes in because it's, you know, there's nowhere else for him to go at that point. I never, so never no, interpret movies as ending that way. Right, okay. <laughs> I'm too optimistic well, to do that. There's a reading, there's a reading of Greece, isn't there? That the entire film is in Sandy's head as she drowns at the beach at the beginning of the film. Mm-hmm. And that's why they fly off into the, the sky at the end. That's her ascending into heaven as she finally dies. I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> <laughs> now that you mention it, it makes Greece better as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> hey, don't you pick on Olivia Newton-John. Not in those pants. Mm. Olivia so that, Newton-John. That, that's that's that. my interpretation of what he's talking about. I could be wrong. That's fair. You know, you guys keep mispronouncing AR-558. What did I say? You're just supposed to say R-558. <laughs> I'm a pirate, laddie. Arr, arr. We're going to R-558. And it's where Nog became uh, Long John Silver. Oh, sorry. At least he didn't live in a pineapple under the sea. <laughs> SpongeBob, SpongeBob Nog pants. <laughs> <laughs> So I guess that's it for today. <laughs> what are we doing next time? We can't get any lower. <laughs> next time, an all new episode of Listen to the Prophets. It's the return of the prodigal daughter, because it sounds like an Esri episode. A friend missing in action. My family problems aren't as important as finding the chief. A family lost in conflict. How dare you come in here and tell me how to be a mother? A murder without motive. Any one of them could know, or all of them. When Esri unravels this web of deceit, Chief O'Brien should leave this system before something happens to him. Will all roads lead back home? I didn't kill her. On the next Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Wow, more bad counseling. Sign me up. (laughs) (laughs) Mm. See you all then. Arrivederci. Arrivederci, Roma. See ya. Listen to the prophets at Deep Space Nine podcast is a two true freaks presentation. It is hosted by Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. The music and sound clips used in the show are copyright CBS and Paramount Entertainment. If you'd like to buy stuff from Amazon, and who doesn't, why not drop by the 2TrueFreaks.com website, where if you click the little link that we have there, it will take you straight through that site, and whilst it won't cost you any extra, we'll put a few shekels in our tip jar, which helps create content like this. We very much hope you enjoyed listening to The Prophets. Every episode is dedicated to the memory of our pal, Sean Engel. So why did Crewman Ricky shoot himself? Oh, he had a counseling session. All right. <laughs> he had a counseling session with Ezra. And once you've got over the fact that she's cute as a button, she's actually not very good at her job. You just sit there and stare at her and go, yeah, yeah. <laughs> then you go home, you're like, wait, that's not going to work. Wait a minute. I need another counseling session. <laughs> she's the most uh, popular counselor we have. Even though she's shit. <laughs> <laughs>